0: All right, we are in Philippians chapter four. Let's pick up again here at verse, verse one. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I hear he's sharing some of the affectionate part, my beloved and longed-for brethren. Philippians certainly seem to have a quite a place in his heart. Remember, this is the church that started off with him getting beaten, being thrown into prison. He didn't get to spend many days there after that. I think it was only the next day after that he was out of, the, out of town. But he says, my joy and crown. He sees them as a crown for him now. We talked about crowns in the future. And if you're up on Facebook, I told you one of the things we'll go over tonight is the, the crowns. We've talked about them never seemed to spend the time on it, so I figure, well, we're talking about crowns here tonight. We'll just go ahead and go into the, the crowns, what they are, the ones we have in the Word of God, how you get them. He says, they're my joy and crown. And that's talking about right now. The crowns we're going to be looking at are the ones that are future. Some of the crowns here, in Second Timothy 4 and verse 8, here's the first one. This is the crown of righteousness. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to who? Me on that day. That's the second time he used the word me. Finally, there is laid up for me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, wouldn't that seem like that would go to everybody? Anybody who's a Christian? Because how can you be a Christian and not look for the appearance of, of God? I mean, what Christian do you know is who doesn't say out of their mouth at some point, can't wait for the rapture. <laughs> can't wait for the rapture. Get, beam me up. Get me out of this place. We're looking forward to, to the appearing. Well, there is something that has to be striven for here. Otherwise, there's no crown. The crowns they're talking about are the ones that take a a lot of effort, a lot of striving. So there's something about this that sets people apart. And Paul is making it real clear, hey, I am one of them. I don't know about you all, but I am one of them. And he says, who have loved his appearing, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not just his appearance in the future, but his appearing. There's a love we need to have for the presence, the appearing of God. And if you look around in the, in the churches, how many people that are in churches worship God, serve God, but the Spirit of God shows up and they're just they're kind of bored with it. They're just not into it. There's a, there's a love for the presence of God. And apparently those folks who have the love for the appearing. If that's that's the one, one way we want to hear this. But there's something to this that is not for... Not all believers will get this. Now, we're not giving a whole lot of detail in this. He just kind of gives us a little bit for each one of these as to what it is that we can look for. But here in Timothy, he tells him about the crown of righteousness. In James chapter 1, verse 12, we have the crown of life. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Well, doesn't every Christian love God? Well, the Word of God tells us that if we love Him, we keep His commandments. We obey Him. That there's a lot of Christians who don't keep His commandments, don't set their mind to understand His commandments. Therefore, they don't love Him. They like Him. They believe in Him. They have faith in Him. But they don't necessarily love Him. So those that have a love for Him will have the crown of life. But he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, enduring temptation is to know what the command of God is and to be tempted to do something different. But to stay with what God commanded us to do. Now, if you do that, there's a crown of life. Now, how many times have we been tempted to go against the things of God? I don't know that you get multiple crowns of of life kind of seems to me like there's one per person, but I don't know that for sure. So how many, how many times do we mess up and disqualify ourselves? I don't know. But you've got to get yourself to that spot more so than the, than the past. Get yourself into a, a lifestyle where I am, as a habit, as a general rule, I do what God commands. It's not a, a sporadic thing. I've learned what the Word says. I endeavor to find out what the Word of God says. And then I endeavor to keep it. He says those ones get the the crown of life. It's kind of like if you were on a sports team. And the coach says, I want you to do this in the weight room. And I want you to do this at the dinner table. And I want you to do this. And he lists all the things that that he wants you to do. And on the track, I want you to run. I want you to swim. I want you to lift. And I want you to eat only these kind of things. And that's a command that he gives. And then when you're, when you're not working out, he says, then I want you to bury yourself in the playbook. And, I want you to do, and he gets you all these things. You may have 10 things you've got to do Well, you've got your commands. Now from there, anybody who's been on sports teams know you have some folks that can all hear the same command. And some of them give 100% to it. And some people give 75% to it. And some people give 50% to it. And don't get me into stuff of 110%, 120%, all this. You cannot give 110%. It's not possible. It's a figurative thing that we do to say, I'm giving it my all. But your all is 100%. That's your all. That's all you're capable of doing is 100%. And That's what God wants us to do. Get to that that spot where we are giving our all to Him. You get yourself into that kind of spot where He gives you 10 things to do and you focus on all 10 of them and you put everything that you can into it. There's a crown of life available for you. Revelations 2.10, Do not fear any of these, those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Well, that's another time the crown of life is mentioned because they're going to be tempting them to renounce God, to renounce the worship. But what God command, don't do that. What are they going to do? They're going to hang on. He says, "Even if they kill you, you'll get the crown of life. First Peter five, we're going to read all four verses here, one through four. The elders who are among you, I exhort. Who's he talking to? Who are pastors? I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Who is that promise to? Apparently it's promised to pastors. Now Paul is an apostle. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So to some degree, he sees himself also as a pastor in his apostolic role, which is not uncommon. Uh, An apostle would have a degree of pastoring that would be in in there as well. Uh, Now, This is, if you look this up on the internet and look for crowns, you'll pretty much find that there are five crowns discussed in the Bible. However, there are really only three. We're going to go over the other two. But this is really the only three that we have. Here's the crown. Here's what you do for it. And this is, this is one of them. Well, would there be a crown for, say... Um, a, or we'll pick one of the other five-fold ministries, an evangelist. If there's one for a pastor, would there be one for an evangelist? <clears throat> now, so just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean it's not there. Because nowhere are we given an extensive list. Paul does not say, here's a list of crowns." He just keeps mentioning different ones uh, along the way as they be, were applicable for the, the situation. So we have three here, but I don't know that there's only three crowns. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? All right, what do you got to do to get a crown of rejoicing? Well, you'd think that if you're one of those who rejoices in the Lord always, that you get a crown of rejoicing, right? <laughs> but on this one, different from the others, he doesn't say this crown is given to those who... He doesn't say that. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or a crown of rejoicing? Where well, is there a crown for hope? Is, there, is he talking about a crown for joy? So it doesn't seem like, even though he's talking about a crown of rejoicing here, like that might not be one he's talking about we get in heaven, but one that we can, I guess, wear now like he was wearing them. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his, at his coming? Now here's another one. 1 Corinthians 9:24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now, what do you have to do to receive an imperishable crown? He doesn't give a, anything on there. So it seems that the, what he's referring to here is that the crowns we receive in heaven for going through the race are imperishable. But that's not a specific one. So out of the five, you've got to scratch this one. I think you got to scratch the other one too. Really, we only have three. In my opinion, we only have three that are listed. Here's the crown. Here's what you do. So, are there more crowns that we can get? I mean, if I'm not a pastor, I'm just... Uh, eliminated from one of them. That means there's only two. Now everybody can resist temptation but he's talking about a pretty high degree of resisting temptation and being obedient. Well I put it uh, in your outline this way because how do we know how to earn a crown if it's not listed? Because we want to earn crowns, right? Right? So I put this in your outline for you this way. If something is commanded of us, and there is opposition, or is something that opposes us. So if there is something if something is commanded of us, and there is something that opposes us, and we overcome it, a crown probably awaits. Because that seems to be what's going on in all the other ones. Something is commanded. Something comes up as opposition and we overcome the opposition. It would seem that if we get ourselves to a place where what is commanded we do, even though opposition comes against us, it would seem that there's a crown that awaits for that. So, if you have something that has been commanded of you in the Word of God and you are receiving opposition, get excited. Because very likely there could be a crown. In your future. Stay with it. Stay with whatever it is that's commanded. Now there can be specific commands. God may give you a specific thing to do. And he may. Give you, he's, of course he's giving you specific things to do in his word. That you need to do. When he talks about in 1 Peter 5. This is Peter going over the. Over it. And, and it's interesting, interesting to note that Paul talks about a crown. Peter talks about a crown. And James talks about a crown. We have three different people talking about three different crowns. This is all come from the, from the same source. But as Peter talks about it here, and he's talking about those things for the, for the overseers. And Peter, of course, was an apostle. He was not just a, a pastor of a place. He was an apostle, much like Paul, much like the, uh, the others that were there. Um, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly not as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. These are all things that are commanded in the word of God. These are all things that are instructed of elders, of pastors to do for the flock of God. So if you do those things, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. It does not fade away. So whatever it is that we pick up to do for God, we go to the word of God, we find out what does the word of God tell me that I need to do as that part of the body and do them. More than likely, there's going to be a crown for those things. Because we're only told about three, but I don't think we're only limited to three. Because one of the three is for a specific office of pastors. And there's probably uh, other ones as well. I mean, what about the prophet? Don't they receive a lot of opposition? Don't they get a word from God, something to say, and opposition that comes against them? Uh, Yeah. So, I don't think that there's just those three crowns that are there. I think that there are are more, but we're not listed in the Word of God. So how do you earn what's not spoken of? Simply do what God has told you to do. Overcome every opposition that is there, and a crown is probably in your future. So let's go on here with the rest of it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. Well, let me make sure we got all this, everything out of for verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. There is something for standing. Everybody wants to be moving, changing, doing something. There is something for standing on the things you know. For not being moved off of what you've already been given to do. We always want to be, well, God, what's the next step? Where am I supposed to go? What else am I supposed to do? There is something for staying put and doing what God said to do. How long was Joshua, Moses' assistant? Forty years. Forty years he was his assistant. He seemed very content to be his assistant. He didn't seem to be trying to, to move off into anything else. And, and when he finally got came to that spot, God had to come to Joshua and say, Look, things are changing. Moses is dead. Now, you. You're moving on. Whether you wanted to or not... <laughs> This is what you're, you're going to do. Uh, Moses stayed to where he was. At that. He went into a kicking and screaming, but when he got there, he <laughs> stayed in it. He stayed with it. And uh, Elijah, once he hit the, that spot of being a prophet, he stayed with it. He didn't. Uh, he didn't move off of it. How many other prophets stayed with it until they were they were killed for what they were doing? There's something about standing fast, staying with what it is that you got. Mm-hmm. Standing on the Word, not being moved around. Mm-hmm. Oh, how much better is it that, you know, you know somebody, you share with them the Gospel, you helped them, taught them things about the Word of God, you saw them growing, and then uh, you see them later on and they're still standing on the thing, same things. Mm-hmm. How disappointed it is when you go back a year later, two years later, you know, they're not in the a church that's teaching them the right things and, and they're off of all the stuff that you taught them. Not walking in forgiveness, not walking in love, not walking in faith, not walking in the Spirit, left all those things. There's something for standing fast in what we've got. That's what Paul says right here, stand fast. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with standing. I like being a runner and running. <laughs> but there's something about standing that's uh, that's good too. Don't uh, don't lose sight of it. All right, verse 2. I implore you, Odea, and I implore you. I think is how you say that, to be the same of the same mind in the Lord, and I also urge, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he gives this exhortation. He pulls two ladies out of this church. Now you remember, when he had, uh, when he started this church up, he started up with a group of women. That's who he started it with. So there was a group of women. We know of uh, one in particular, but there was a group of women that was there. And apparently these are two of the women, probably in that group, because they were working with Paul. He said, they work with me. But he implores each one of them. He says their name, I implore you. Each one of them, individually, in the letter to the entire church. He pulls out these two people and he implores them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, that would indicate that right now they are not. That would also indicate that at one time they were. But now they are not. Now, if you once were of the same mind with somebody, and now you are not, what is probably going on? (laughs) There's some disputes going on between this woman and this woman. And apparently it's affecting the entire church. And so Paul put it in the letter. Otherwise, why not just send them a letter? He doesn't do that. He sends it to all of them, because apparently whatever has gone on has affected the whole church, and probably in a negative way. He says, I also urge you, true companion. Now, true companion, and I wrote the Greek word in there for you, it could be referring to the pastor or bishop of the church in Philippi. It could also be talking about a prominent worker of Paul's, they know this is a worker of Paul's. Uh, this is somebody that Paul sent. He may be referring to him. Or possibly, I've heard this mentioned before too, it's, it might even be a person's name. That seems to be the least likely of all those things. We don't really have anybody else listed by that name. That doesn't seem to be as as uh, much a possibility. But certainly he could be writing to the pastor, the bishop, the one who oversees the, the, whole, the whole place there. Or he could be talking to a prominent worker. I need you. And whoever, this word that he's using, this uh, true companion is how it's translated here. It's translated different places, different ways. A yoke fellow, I think, was the way the King James put it. That's an odd, we don't really think about that, but someone who's basically yoked together with you. So he says, I write to you, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Notice that labored is past tense. Hasn't Paul, in other letters, talked about people that are in ministry where he is not and called them co-laborers with him. So why is it past tense with these two ladies? Whatever the disagreement, whatever the, uh, whatever's going on between them, it has pulled them out of being a co-laborer with Paul. That he does not see them anymore as being co-laborers with him. we got to be careful because some of the disputes that we can fall into can call a, cause us to be pulled out of being co-laborers with Christ. Because anyone who's a co-laborer with Christ, Paul would see as a co-laborer with him. He does not see these ladies in the state that they're in right now as being a co-laborer with Paul. So he says to them, they once were. It's past tense. It's translated quite correctly. I urge you also, true companion, help these women. So you need to get in there. Help these women Get to a place where they're the same mind on this thing. They're not disputing with each other. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also. Now, Clement, it causes some confusion. We're not sure who Clement is. There was a pastor, and Paul is in Rome right now. He's in, he's in uh, one of the Roman imprisonments he's in. <clears throat> he's in Rome, and so there's a pastor of Rome whose name is Clement. Uh, I believe he's a Roman citizen. And Philippi is one of those cities that is very closely associated with Rome. The emperor, I'm told, actually would visit Philippi quite often. So it's very closely associated with Rome. There were special privileges for those in Philippi who were Roman citizens that were not the same thing in other cities. It was quite a uh, closely associated city. So the Clement could be the pastor that was there. Maybe he went over to Philippi and, or it could just be another guy named Clement. Just because we know a Clement doesn't mean that it has to be that one. But apparently they knew who this Clement was. It's not the person who's the true companion. He says, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. It's kind of an odd thing to throw in there. But there are some people who are laborers with God whose names have been blotted out of the Book book of life. Uh, they see themselves as laborers of God. Other people see them themselves as laborers of God. They're in the church, they're ministering, but God says, no, we blotted them out. And uh, we're not getting into into that part. I guess we could have, but... It never really talks about people being erased out of the book of life. It talks about being blotted out. So it seems like the book of life is written and complete. Not added to. It is complete. And then as time goes on, if you make a decision, we can blot you out. I don't know, if you, if you get blotted out, can you get put back in again? Well, it does talk about a sin that uh, once it's done... So anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother topic. I didn't, I didn't get that stuff ready for you here. So anyway, help these women. Strife hurts each of them. It's hurting each one of them if we allow strife to come in between us and another person in the body of Christ, it will hurt us. It will also hurt the body of Christ, but it will hurt us to the point that Paul says they're not even, he doesn't say this, but by using past tense, they're not co-workers anymore. Mm-hmm. Keep that strife out. Keep, on Sunday, we were talking about bitterness and what bitterness can do to you. The changes it makes in your physical body is astounding. Bitterness, once it gets in, as we we're talking about uh, the Sunday morning service, once it gets in, it changes your expression. It changes your outlook. It changes your skin. It changes the aura that, that's around you when you walk into a room. It changes so much about you. And things in your body can survive when you have bitterness They cannot survive if you keep it out. That's just in the natural that's just the physical part of it. you know there's a lot of uh, treatments for cancer that when people get it. There are certain foods that you can eat, and if you get certain foods, it changes the chemical makeup of your body, and cancer can't survive. The problem with it is most people don't want to stick with it because you know you can't go to the fast food restaurants and and eat this stuff. <laughs> So I forget which way it is. It's uh, the foods, I think, that have to take the body to an, a- an acid state, and most of the foods that we enjoy take it to an alkaline state. So, and, you know, like cookies and Twinkies and, <laughs> and um, things like that, that takes it to the opposite end, and cancer flourishes and, and those kind of things. But if you eat the other things, and I don't know what they are, um, but uh, if you take some of those, those ones in, apparently it makes your body inhibitable. Uh, that, that cancer can't survive. It can't make a habit to, to live in your body. Uh, there are some people who have completely foregone radiation and chemo and just taken the dietary approach and have had success in, in that. See, we're, we're doing things with their body and we're allowing um, conditions to, to go on. And bitterness is one of them. And when you get this kind of a disagreement between people and you allow that to fester and to continue on, it will be adverse for you and adverse for the people that are around you. Just need to get rid of it. It's so important that we do that. So, after talking about these ladies and the battle that they're having between each other, he then goes into this verse, which we all know so well Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you missed it the first time, I'm going to say it again. Again, I say, Rejoice. Now, we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we picked up that as one of the two commands, first two commands we gave you from the word of God to follow that were imperative, that if you followed them, there was a blessing that would come. And one of them was rejoice always, that it is hard to complain and rejoice. In fact, it's impossible to complain and rejoice at the same time. <laughs> every time we fall into complaining, we have left rejoicing every time. Every time that we have picked up yelling at the person driving the car in front of us, we have left rejoicing. Every time. I cannot yell at the car in front of me and rejoice. just can't do it. I can't think evil thoughts of people at work and be rejoicing. You just can't do it. But he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And this is so important, I'm going to repeat it for you. Again, I will say, rejoice. So that seems to be something that Paul is doing. These ladies aren't, because <clears throat> they're in dispute. We've well, we got to get to that place where we are just constantly rejoicing. I think uh, Brother Hagen just tells a story about uh, P.C. Nelson. And P.C. Nelson, uh, one time he was uh, at some place speaking. And he just, uh, before the meeting, he had somebody assigned to him. And they were following him around he just would say, uh, Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Just constantly, all the time, just be saying this sort of thing. And went through the service. After the service was over, he, he came back down and the man was still following him around, helping him all the things that had to be done. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. And the man finally said to him, he says, You know, I think that's just a habit with you. And he turned to him and said, What's a habit? Um, th- those words you keep saying. You keep saying, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He says, I do? He says, Yeah, you've been saying it all the time before. All the time, I just keep on constantly saying it. He says, Well, if I do, it's a good habit to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He didn't even realize he was doing it all the time. That's how how it needs to be a part of what we're doing. Just constantly praising the Lord. So that's one of the things that we've given you to, to do and to focus on when we gave you the first one. Don't be anxious for anything. Because you can't be anxious and worry and be rejoicing. Can't do it. It's two opposite ends of the spectrum. So you've got to get rid of the one and bring in the other. And if you do, you will change your body's makeup. So the things that survived on the inside don't survive anymore. They can't. Because you're creating conditions that don't allow it. And we went through, if you were here or heard it on the podcast we went through the different medical conditions of people who have anxiety and worry. This past Sunday, we went through the medical conditions that people have who harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. That there are certain things that happen medically to a body if you bring these things in. Conditions. One of them surprised me that if you have bitterness and it affects your lungs. And I saw the study. I saw the stats on the study. I saw how many people they did in the study. I saw what was, was going on. The effects on a person's lungs were much like People who smoke cigarettes had that much of an effect upon their lungs. Why it specifically tra- targeted the lungs, I don't know. But the best thing is, get it out. Don't be bitter. You will hurt yourself. Now the devil always tells you, you got reason to be bitter. Because you're always right. The reason we're bitter is because other people did something wrong. They did it against me. Did they ever do anything wrong to Jesus? Did they ever treat him poorly? How about Paul? How about Peter? John? Yeah, they all did. But these are the folks who wrote stuff like this about us. Rejoice in the Lord always. We have got to get to a place where we are rejoicing. That I am so focused on rejoicing that when I fall from rejoicing, I am conscious of it. Oh, that just changed something in me. I've got to get back to what I was doing before. I've got to go back to the other, other way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. Now, this word gentleness here, if you have the King James, it translates it in a whole different other... I forget the word that it uses. Is it up on there? Moderation. Oh, the New King James does it too? Oh, thank you, sir. I was going to say, I didn't think the New King James picked it up. The King James put it in the next way, in moderation. Um, It's not used that way any place in the New Testament. I think it is possible to find this in some of the... uh, Usage of it. But certainly with the context, that's not what's being talked about here. And there is another word that, uh, that certainly Paul has used when he's, when he's talking about this. I looked up in some of mine, um, my helps on this, and it means mild, gentle, fitting, and patient. Now, here's some of the verses of where this word is used. In 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3, a bishop then must be blameless... The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. So if you want to attain to the level of a bishop, then this is what you need to be. And gentle is one of those things that he put in this list. You need to be As as, uh, Paul puts it, let your gentleness be known to all men. When he says to all men, that includes those who don't like you. That includes those that are not nice to you. That includes those uh, who are nice to you, who do like you, but it also includes those that are on the other end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. He says all men, Mm -hmm. all of them. So if you meet them and they are walking and talking and we're not even talking about males here. We're just talking about the race of people. <laughs> he's, he's saying, let your gentleness be known, your gentleness, not theirs. Doesn't tell them to make their gentleness known. It's talking about you. When we step into a situation and I am not gentle, I've messed up. Now make it known to all men. There are times that Jesus was not gentle. But he came in making his gentleness known. And they didn't receive it. And he was gentle again. They didn't receive it. After a while, that gentleness did begin to to go back. Same thing with Paul. Paul began to deal a little sterner with people. But he first made his gentleness known. So all men saw the gentleness of Paul. But sometimes we're too quick with our harshness. We're very, very harsh with, with people. We have no reason to to me that way. Let your gentleness be made known. So do this, do this kind of a poll in, on the inside. If people that know you, if they were given a questionnaire, and one of those questions was, how gentle is this person? What would they say? And see, we want to get that moved up. It's like one of those surveys you get, you know, on a scale of one to ten. How likely are you to use this site again? Or to come back and to, and to shop here again? Or to or, or do that? How likely are you to, to do such? And then you know you mark in there very likely, unlikely, uh, and anywhere along those. So just picture this. And if someone you know, people you know, are given this questionnaire about you, how gentle is so and so? Would they be striking 10? Nine, eight, seven. I mean, we have a pretty good idea. I pretty much know how gentle I've been with people around me. we got to get it to the, to the point where this person is very gentle. We lead with our gentleness. One of those things that Paul thought is important enough that he leads with this verse. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And then to emphasize it here, the Lord is at hand. He's right here. The Lord is right here. When you're interacting with other people, remember the Lord is right here. He is watching. He's right here. He's watching you. Don't you operate a certain way if the boss is around? Maybe a little bit different than when the boss is not. We shouldn't, but sometimes we do. Titus chapter 3 verse 1 remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one oh, how are we doing on that? to speak evil of no one to be peaceable gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now you can kind of see how that all flows together speak evil of no one this is right after he talks about rulers and authorities how easy is it when we have a president we don't like to speak evil of them? When we have a president we do like to speak good of them. How easy is that to do? To speak evil, but he didn't say leaders and presidents. He's, he's talking no one. No one. I picked this up as a practice a long time ago and it's helped me out a lot. Pretend that everything you say will be heard by the person you're talking about. That'll keep you from saying a lot of stuff. Hmm. Just pretend. If you're going to say something about someone else, just pretend. Whatever it is you're going to say, they're going to hear it. And do you want them to hear it? Hmm. Sometimes it makes us feel good to say something bad about somebody else but if that gets back to them, how do we feel? Oh, I can't believe they told you I said that. Don't be doing it. Stay out of it. Speak evil of no one. Whether they speak evil of you, makes no difference. Speak evil of no one. Just don't speak evil. Brother Hagin used to tell us this with, with other, other ministers. He says, other ministers may rise and fall but have nothing to do with their fall. Speak evil of no one. Be peaceable. In other words, when you come in on the scene, peace should follow. How many of y'all know people that peace does not follow? If they come in on the scene, they are stirring something up. Mm -hmm. Christian, not Christian, doesn't matter. They're stirring something up. But as far as you are concerned, when you walk in on the scene, you're finding peace. To be peaceable, gentle. There's that word for gentle. Let your gentleness be made up. Be gentle. That's how you need to be. Sometimes we need to just clam up with our words. Well, I just speak speak my mind. I don't try and cover it up. Well, then you are a fool. You are a fool. Just look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a fool if I'm going to walk that way. You do not speak whatever is on your mind. I heard someone say this before. I forget where, but they said spiritual growth really has very little to do with your spirit. Spiritual growth has more to do with your mind. We call it spiritual growth. But really, when you got born again, what happened to your spirit? It became reborn. And now you're trying to get your mind to fall in line with what your spirit is doing. Spiritual, and I, like that. I like that. Spiritual growth has more to do with your mind than anything else. See, we've got to stop speaking our mind and get a new mind. Don't speak your mind, speak your spirit. Speak the things that are in your spirit. Speak the things that God says. Jesus said that uh, when he's talking about his ministry, what's he saying? I speak my mind. No. I speak my mind. The things I heard my father say. I do the things I saw my father do. That's spiritual growth, folks. That's where we need to be. Get to that spot. Gentle, showing all humility to all men. James three seventeen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. God's wisdom. If we're going to operate in the wisdom of God, it is, first of all, pure. After that, the wisdom of God brings peace. After that, it is gentle. The wisdom of God is third, gentle. Of all the things in the list, he's given a list of priority here. The wisdom that is from above is first, pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. You want to know if it's the wisdom of God? Does it fit this list? In descending order. 1 Peter 2.18 Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle. But also to the harsh. Now you can see this word in uh, contrast to the harshness. Uh, because we can certainly think of slaves and servants and the kind of treatment that they had and what a harsh master would have been. But he says, Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So make your gentleness known. Most times we seem to be making other things known, not our gentleness. But he exhorts us here, Make your gentleness known to everybody. Everybody. Whoever you come in contact with, make your gentleness known. Put it out there. Rejoice always and make your gentleness known. And then we come to the verses of Scripture we're so very familiar with in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, 7, and 8. And we'll get into them next week. But here, keep your crowns and views and know there are probably more crowns than the ones we have listed in the Word of God. But just do what God has said to do Overcome the opposition and more than likely there's a crown waiting for you. Stay in unity and avoid division. Don't get in like those ladies were. Pull you right out of the service. Be rejoicing always and love gentleness. See, for a lot of us, we don't love it. All right, I'll be gentle, but I'm not going to like this. (laughs) But you can get to a place where you fall in love with being gentle. You just love being gentle. Because you can get a lot more done if you operate that way. Now, if they're not responding, of course you, do, you can follow Jesus' example and Paul's example and Peter's example and others, and you can up the, the, the up the level, pull out some of the gentleness. You know, eventually Jesus went through the temple and turned things over and mm-hmm. threw things, and but he didn't start off that way. <laughs> he he didn't go into the temple the first time that way. He didn't go into the temple the second time that way. He didn't go into the temple the third time that way. But eventually, when he saw what they were doing and that they weren't listening and weren't treating his father's house like his father's house, he says, you've turned this into a den of thieves. He wasn't gentle then. But had he made his gentleness known? Surely had. I think they are a little shocked at how he came through there. Make your gentleness known to all people. So if you get somebody who's a customer, who gets somebody who's a neighbor, you get somebody who's a coworker, and they come in and they are obnoxious and they are testing your level of gentleness. Be glad because you've got a command from God and now you've got opposition. You've got something to overcome and something to endure. And more than likely, from the Word of God, if you do what God said to do in the face of the opposition and overcome that opposition... And continue to endure what awaits you on the other side. More than likely there's a crown. If there's a crown for gentleness, I wouldn't doubt it. But it's not going to all Christians. Because most Christians don't operate in gentleness. Most Christians feel very good about speaking their mind. And telling people what they think. That's not the way that we ought to go. It's not the way that Paul tells us. And, of course, other places in Scripture as well. Well, Father, we thank you that you have put some crowns in our future. You've laid a few of them out for us. But there's probably more. You desire to give them out. You look forward to giving out these awards. So, Father, we want to live this life honoring your commands knowing them, pursuing them, finding out what they are, and then working to put them in our life and overcome every bit of opposition that comes against us. And we look forward to the reward that comes. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.